0: Welcome to another episode of Creators Outlet, sponsored by our friends over at the Inked Marketing team. Inked Marketing, if you've got a creative idea that you want to get put through on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, give Kevin Gillette a call over at Inked Marketing and see what they can do for you. And speaking of which, our special guest today, Monty Michael Moore. Uh, if you would please be so considerate as to go over to the Ringo Awards page and vote for Local Hero, one of Monty's many books, uh, for, that's been nominated for Ringo Awards for this year. And there he is. Howdy. How you doing? I I uh, I was watching the I was watching the video earlier, and you were naming all these. Uh, old spaghetti Western shows that I grew up watching and, and still watch on a Saturday morning with a bowl of cereal and coffee. Uh, So I did not know that about you, that you have a, you have a big uh, Western background. Mm -hmm. I just knew you had an enormous artistic background.
1: Yeah. It's kind of unique in the comics industry to, to come from, you know, Western and agriculture. And my family's been in, Agriculture and ranching from cattle and bison to sheep for over, I think, close to four generations, a couple hundred years. Um, My brother, my oldest brother today, still raises bison. He has about 200 head. Uh, We grew up in a pretty expansive cattle ranch in Idaho that the family doesn't currently have anymore. And then I have one other brother who also still uh, raises animals and has his own farm. So For me, doing Blood and Bullets is combining some of the things I grew up with, watching things like you said, from Wild Wild West to, uh, you know, Big Jake and Rio Lobo and uh, just everything from the Virginian to Big Valley when I was a kid. And that's what we had access to and we like watching, like the Lone Ranger. But, you know, pair that with somebody like me with an overactive imagination. And suddenly, you know, there might be (laughs) vampires involved. Well, you know,
0: you have you have to explain why there's a bit, you know, occasionally a you know, a couple of head of cattle out there with all the blood drained out of them in the middle of the pasture. So,
1: right. Well, you know, it could happen, you don't know. Our ranch was 32 miles from town at wow. the end of a dirt road. And it sort of dead ended at our ranch and you could go back up over the mountain and go back to a different town the other way. Um, But, you know, going to town was a big deal. It it took an hour down, you know, a dirt road. And, uh, you know, sometimes out there at night when you know, no one's around, you know, that whole, no one can hear you scream. Mm -hmm. It's like, that is very creepy. I will tell you because you're the only soul for miles.
0: Yeah, and uh obviously there's there's no street lights going from the ranch all the way into
1: town. No, no nothing like that. You where our ranch was located, we were on the um right on the edge of the Snake River, and it was about a mile wide there, so it was like a big lake, and you could see Oregon on the other side, and there was a road on the other side. So you could see cars going up and down the road on occasion. But if something happened, you were still way well out of reach. Yeah. You know? You're,
0: you're, you're in the middle of nowhere Yeah, and uh, 32 miles from, from any town. And uh, yep. you, you have a river called the snake next to you. Exactly. Yeah, that would, have, that, that, that might give me nightmares now. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, uh, about 10 years ago, actually, we, I wrote and produced a feature film. Uh, with Doug Jones, who's best known for, you know, Shape of Water and all his work with um, Guillermo del Toro and now on Discovery, called End of the Road. And the movie is about a group of ghost hunters who go to this remote ranch at the end of the road who are trying to film a pilot episode for a new ghost hunter TV show. And uh, we that particular film, which I wrote and produced, Um, I think got in like six film festivals and we won five awards uh, for that film. Very small indie budget kind of a film, but something I'm still proud of today. So, you know, going into publishing my own comics like Blood and Bullets and Loco Hero is still that, you know, wearing the writer hat and not always wearing the artist hat, you know, and actually doing the physical artwork. So on my projects in comics, I hire great artists to write, to draw and color the stories I've written because I'm more of a cover artist and a concept artist and a fine artist and my background and my forte isn't doing high volume sequential art. It would take me years.
0: Yeah. That's, that's uh, that's a, uh, that's a specialized talent all in its own.
1: I I did one fully painted comic uh, 25 years ago when I was just out of art school. It's called Bloodlines, and you can still find them on uh, eBay and stuff like that. Uh, It was just a one-shot, and it actually was a a, a vampire piece too, but it was a sci-fi piece, which I did not write. Uh, I did the project with one of my best friends in college, and he wrote it, and I did the art. Uh, and as I mentioned, it took me over a year just to do the art. And then it wasn't another 10 years before it was actually published by uh, Moonstone.
0: And and now you're, I'm going to write the books and I'm going to hire you to do all the hard work.
1: <laughs> I can do covers.
0: <laughs> oh, can you? Oh my God. I was, I was looking through some of them and I'm like, I was just like, oh. I don't know which ones to get.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, on the actual campaign itself. So I, the covers that I'm primarily doing, I put in what we call the art core team and that's the same guys who do the inside of the book for me. And so uh, my covers can mostly be found there or in the, there's a couple of them that will be as a hollow foil or a linen. Uh, And then in the variant cover artist tier. I call that the rock star cover tier. Those are the additional artists that I bring in on a per project basis to do really cool variant covers. And so on this project, we have, uh, Jason Metcalf, Steven Scott, uh, Marat Michaels and Mark Huizinga. Uh, and the Mark Huizinga cover, uh, I will debut right here on your show. It has oh, not been cool. posted. And this printout is a little bit dark. Um, this is the color version, uh, and I did show a couple days ago the line work for it. Uh, but uh, Federico Siak, who's the colorist who's wow. done most of the colors, did a beautiful job. And on the campaign, uh, just before I came on your show, I updated the reward section. And when you scroll down in the reward section. Um, you'll see this image uh, as one of the options. And that was literally only op- uh, added to the campaign within the last hour. Wow. So there hasn't been an update or anything to announce it. It's just a stealth ad right now.
0: It just, we're going to sneak this in because,
1: well, there's only a couple days left. Right. Yeah. It's, and, it's and I'm tail working. End, like, so. Right. And uh, about this time last week, we hit the. Um, 30,000 K stretch goal. And so one of the stretch goal items is called the three card Monty. So this is one of the sexy vamps and her name is Daniela Volska in the, in the campaign. And I just did this drawing today. I have, I, you can see the time-lapse on my page, but you can't actually see the finished drawing yet. And then here's the other one. And this one I finished whoop uh, this morning And this is our main character there, Mary Masterson. And so these drawings are now just debuting. And anybody who backs the the campaign will actually get this and one more image of the character Blackbird uh, as one of the stretch goal rewards. So that stretch goal reward we called Three Card Monty. And uh, it'll be three trading cards with brand new images that I've just drawn here at the end of the campaign. Wow.
0: Yeah. I I saw the, uh, I saw the time-lapse and I go, Ooh, what's this? What's this? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, it's good. I don't know what it is yet, but it's good.
1: A lot of times I'm working so fast and so many projects, I forget to take videos and set up my clamp and, you know, put the phone in there or Mm. won't be charged or the lighting will be bad. And I'm like, Oh, I don't have time to mess with that. But on these drawings, I dinked around last night and I got it set up right. And I'm like, no, I really want to be able to show the process to fans because everybody likes to see, you know, how things are made and created.
0: Oh, yeah. It's just incredible. Let's take a look at this because this is just going crazy. Let's refresh. I'm going to refresh the page beforehand just in case.
1: Yeah. We're – yep, I had seen that. Yep, we're the same. Um, so yeah, just a few backers away from uh, the 500 backer mark, which is fantastic.
0: Oh yeah. And I ha- I have this talk with uh, you know other people and they're like well why are well, I love indie comics, but why are they expensive? I go, well, because they're like divorced, they're worth it. And not just that, but you have to think that every indie comic is a limited run. Like very, very small. Yeah. When, when you turn around and you buy like the latest Clayton crane, uh, Virgin variant cover for a, a Joker number one. Well, DC made like 20 covers and, printed up like 100,000 of each one and and yep. flooded the market with it. I mm-hmm. go so you've got like, you know, a half a million Joker number 1s floating around there somewhere and you know, uh Clayton added like another like 1500 of his cover. I go with with uh Indies uh even just the main cover you'll only get like at, at top. Maybe 100. 100, like, Yeah, like a like hundred or, uh, you know, a hundred or so. And then the all the variant covers are even like less. And some of them are automatically limited to like, you know, 25 or, mm-hmm. you know,
1: 50. A bunch of ours, if you added up the different tiers that we have, some of our covers, there'll be only 85 of because we've said, okay, we're going to put 50 in here as a tier that somebody can support. And then there'll be another like, you know, 20 as add-ons or something like that. So Mm -hmm. even though of the entire book, we still will end up with, um, you know, probably a thousand, maybe 2000 copies of it total that, you know, somebody, uh, there might only be 10 backers who can say, well, I have, you know, all the variant covers that were offered, uh, and, or like specialty ones. But like you said, it has to do with, uh scale and the cost of printing, you know, we're using small printers that are, you know, in the country and things like that. A lot of these printers and, you know, bigger publishers, they're using (coughs) big offset web printers or they'll be out of the country. They might be printing in Canada. They might be printing in China and yeah, they're paying for shipping to get it over here, but uh, we're probably paying a much higher cost per book. Uh, they're, they're probably certainly not where we might be, uh, in, in the printing cost. So you, you do have to pass that on to the, to the collector market. And, uh, it's really just what the collectors want. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives the market. Because I can remember when I first started with lady death covers back in 2014, I was shocked at the time that a brand new cover might go for, or, and I shouldn't say cover copy of the book comic book, graphic novel, you know, would be 40 bucks. I was kind of blown away and then it was 70 bucks and then it was, you know, hundred bucks for maybe an artist proof with a nice little remark on it. And, you know, I found some of the best comic fans that I have seen and come across are in indie comics and they, they're loyal, they're supportive. I mean, these kind of people would be like, Oh, I hear you're moving and you need a truck. I'll help you move you know this isn't just you know like i'm going to buy your comics a lot of these you know fans become lifelong friends that i've met through collecting
0: uh, otherwise known as stalkers at the conventions yes <laughs> <laughs> i've uh i've i've met like so many people cuz i've i've had the show just a little over a year and this is episode uh 122 so i haven't had any loss for uh you know, having indie creators and, and, you know, you know, other people on, you know, mm-hmm. I've had, I've had yourself on, I've had uh Rylan Grant on a couple of times, uh, Graham Nolan, uh, Scott Hannah and loads and loads of other people that mm-hmm. are known, you know, in the big community and, and the smaller community. And I still have people like lined up to do shows. So I think it's great this is, this is me hanging out at artist alley at any given convention, uh, just chatting up the creators. Cause mm-hmm. everybody's like, yep. Oh, it's great. There's all this stuff. And it's all from comic books. I'm like, yeah, you should have listened to us 30 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know, you know, some collectors, you know, they, people go, Oh, well, do you cosplay? And you know, Are you buying the shirts. Did you go see Bruce Campbell? And you know, the true collectors, honestly, they're like, I never leave artist Alley. Like they spend all their time, you know, either chatting or waiting for their sketches, you know, getting on artist lists, you know, waiting for remarks, all that kind of thing. And that's where, that's the interaction that they like is they'd rather be with uh, the creators who make it, not all the tertiary and the secondary stuff that's made and saying, oh, well, I need to buy, you know, myself a new Thor t-shirt. Well, you probably already got that anyway, if you're not a newbie.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if, if you have to have that Thor t-shirt so bad, uh, you can buy it at like Walmart for like 10% of the price you're going to pay. for Right. It at the convention.
1: Yeah. Usually the tower of t-shirts guys, uh, styling online, it's usually a kind of a pricey shirt. At the yeah. Show.
0: It's, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a, I could, I could buy an earbrushed shirt cheaper than I could buy a t-shirt at a convention for.
1: So yeah. If you could find somebody new more to paint one for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually... Uh, let me let me show you this really quick. It's going to come up in the corner where the NSC Roadshow logo is. Okay. Uh, but about 20 years ago, a good buddy of mine that's moved out to Arizona now, because uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge... Joker's my favorite villain. And uh-huh. uh, he airbrushed... He redid like a lot of alex ross's artwork from the the big dc hardcover on the back of my jacket
1: oh okay oh very cool nice job so
0: yeah that's 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 my pride and joy and i've had a i've had a few people at uh at boston comic cons uh offer me like up to five grand for it i'm like you do not have five thousand dollars
1: I was gonna say, if somebody wants me to paint that on the back of a jacket for five grand, hey, call me up. <laughs>
0: yeah, call me right now.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, it's it's you know I just I love that coat. Uh, I it'd be great if I could lose another hundred pounds so I could actually zip it up again. But <laughs> that happens to all of us, you know, body by COVID. So uh, yeah, we're we're, we're we're working on it, but. I want to take a look at some of the stuff in here. Cause man, <laughs> that's just insane.
1: So that image there that's on the screen, that's the when I, back when I wrote the screenplay, which has been optioned several times by a producer in Hollywood that this was basically the promo art. So I did that art 10 years ago. Wow. And, I still have the original painting. It's sitting in a drawer in my flat files and stuff. I never sold it. And this was to try to capture the flavor of, you know, what I was writing in the screenplay and trying to combine, you know, as I say, gunfights and vampire bites. And you don't, you know, in the past and all the Western stuff that we mentioned earlier, you don't get slinging female characters right. And the old West stuff of the classic sort of fifties through the eighties, you know, they were usually secondary characters. They, they didn't, they weren't, you know, it wasn't like tombstone where Wyatt Earp's characters, you know, played by a woman, you know, you get modern TV shows like Winona Earp and things like that. Um, which are, you know, more of like something kind of derivative of, uh, you know, pop culture meshing with a little bit of history. And, mm-hmm. and that's where you get a lot of fun concepts and things for uh, characters.
0: It's just amazing,
1: though. Thank you. Yeah, that one of the my end sort of goals as I was developing the characters and doing drawings and all that sort of thing is... You know to, to was to market the screenplay as a, as a either TV series or a um a, a one you know a movie a feature film and so uh a lot some of this art and things like that was developed quite a bit ago and in the upper left you'll see um uh, that comic book page that's up there that's more in browns I had an, an earlier artist working on the project who actually didn't finish it. And I was going to do the coloring myself. And I was going to go with a more rustic brown look. It wasn't going to be traditional comic book coloring. And so um, uh, that was uh, earlier versions when this was first coming together. And that was all the way back in 2015 and 16. So, um, you know, one of the things that I see a lot of today that I don't know, kind of bothers me a little bit is, as I just see some of the newer publishers and they just, you know, they're cranking out product to the sake of cranking out product, as opposed mm-hmm. to saying, wow, this is a labor of love. And this particular, she took me, you know, this many years to bring to fruition. And I really just hope it doesn't damage the industry long-term because the readers aren't getting the product that they want to read. It's just, you know, it's cranked out in like a, you know, factory fashion.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like 25 Batman comics or, uh, you know, 37 X-Men or uh, Avengers titles when the movies are going good. Disney's like soak the market and see what we can get.
1: Yeah. I guess one of the things that, that uh, disappoints me sometimes when I open a comic and I find out that the, you know, maybe the artwork inside is, more what I would consider amateur kind of level. And then that's disappointing. And this is coming from a cover guy. My job is to help sell people, you know, uh, help sell comics and books and games and all that sort of thing and Mm -hmm. put amazing artwork on it. Uh, But you also want the content to be good. And so I was, I got into the comic business in 1993 with a self-published title that I was the colorist on and I airbrushed the entire book. And it was right when the comic book industry just took a giant crap for lack of a better word. And it just imploded 93 to 94, you know, the, the industry just crashed. And from what I was told from a lot of other people is there was too many titles on the market. And so they were all vying for comic book space. And this is pre internet, you know, nobody was selling comics on the internet. Uh, But in addition to that, you had an entire generation of collectors who basically said the story and the writing isn't good enough for me to make me want to buy this title. And this was before variant covers, you know, were really a big thing. Uh, And so I don't want to see the industry get hurt from a lot of content that people aren't happy with long-term because that's going to hurt small publishers, big publishers, medium publishers. If people just go, ah, I got sick of it. I stopped collecting comics. I stopped reading comics. And, you know, over in Europe, the graph, the, the format of a graphic novels is, is a well-respected way to tell stories. And, you know, it's more of like an illustrated art form. They're not the funny books of old that, you know, my parents would be like, oh yeah, the funny books. And I'm like, well, people today these are pretty serious art forms when you look at um you know successful stuff like from frank miller and uh things like kingdom come the nail dave Mazzucchelli's uh you know run on uh, daredevil you know there, there's some powerful powerful stories out there i mean oh, yeah. watchman you know the original watchman that didn't pull any punches that's like politics and sex and superheroes and you know all sorts of stuff
0: yeah there's there's been some you know amazing storytelling mm-hmm. and it seems to uh in in certain ways kind of like gone to the wayside kind of like hollywood isn't coming up with new ideas to to entertain the masses they're just doing rinse and repeat with mm-hmm. you know yeah well we're gonna do a remake of this old movie why yeah well it's already got a built-in audience so they'll go see it again
1: yeah and you know so right right now mel gibson's redoing the wild bunch uh and who knows whether it'll be a good movie or not we probably already know the story because i know the story of the wild bunch um but there's other times where you look at great movies that I've enjoyed that are, have been made from comics and it doesn't matter if it's something heavier, like road to perdition or something that's more whimsical, like, uh, you know, kick ass or, uh, the mask or, you know, things like that. I mean, so many comics have been made into film and, and I would love to see my comics, you know, made into film as well. Uh, but, Uh, I also want to make sure that at the end of the day, when I put out a project, it's something that I'm proud of the art inside. So I have a pretty high standard for that. I'm not going to put junky art on the inside of one of my books. And I also hope that people enjoy the story. You know, it doesn't mean it's, I'm trying to write crime and punishment, which is pretty boring by the way. I don't recommend it. Um, You know, I'm just trying to entertain, but I also want to create high quality product. I'd like anything that comes from Maverick Arts, which is my company, to for people to say, Hey, that that's good stuff. I enjoy that.
0: Yeah, you want, you know, even if it's a different person on the cover, you want it to at least measure, you know, be a good balance to measure up.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. I would be disappointed if people, you know, then came back to me and said, Oh, well. It's too bad the content inside, whether that story or art, um, you know, that felt wasn't um, worth the money they paid for it. Right. Um, and it's one of the reasons why when people get a, a, um, a physical book and they buy the comic, they may not open it and look at it, but they're going to get a digital copy. And so mm-hmm. if they want to read the comic, which I hope they do, because that's where all the work is, the work isn't yeah. on the cover. The work is in the year and a half that it takes to make 50 pages of full color comic
0: yeah i i always argue with uh i argue with like a lot of my friends that will they'll turn around and they'll buy they'll you know there'll be like a new big thing coming out and they'll buy it and they don't even have it brought to them they they buy it online and they they ship it to cgc like right away Mm -hmm. yep don't you think maybe you should read that Oh, I'm buying the digital copy to read it. I go, so you're spending an extra five dollars to read the digital copy instead of immersing yourself in the art in all the hard work that the creators put into the book in the first place.
1: Yeah, but I get it. That's that's also what drives the industry. If that wasn't the case, we wouldn't offer you know really cool variant covers and you know send them to CGC. I just you know, I hope that creators do both because I take great pride when somebody says, Hey, I read Loco hero and I had some fans come back and say, that's the best book I read this year. That's my new favorite character. Or this is my second favorite character of all time compared to X. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's Hulk or lady death. Mm -hmm. That's high praise. And when you can write a character or a story that resonates with people, um, that, that compliment to me feels just as good, if not better, than um, than a compliment on my art. You know, I'm more used to the compliments on my art only because I've been in the industry. Uh, and and trust me, you get better, plenty of bad comments too, where people go, wow, that's horrible. How come you can't draw hands? And you're like, I don't know, it was a bad day. Um, but, you know, it's nice to do when, when people are enjoying your writing too.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, so this is a 50 page book. Is it a one shot or are you going to, is it going to be a mini series ongoing?
1: It's uh, I hope it's going to be ongoing. And the cool part is, is, is that issue two, believe it or not, is, um, within about four or five pages of being finished already drawn. Uh, so the artist that I have on the inside and you can scroll down and see some of his ink pages, Um, is uh, an artist out of Italy. His name is Silvano Beltramo, a great artist name. And he just uh, does fantastic work. And I wanted to show some of the (coughs) pre-colored pages there. Uh, But we already have the entire book done. So as a publisher, I'm kind of trying to do more of what Brian Polito does at Coffin Comics. And that's, you know, hey, you're not asking for backers money to then go hire the artist and then hopefully make a nice book you're actually saying i i paid to have the book made i believe in this project enough that i've already paid all my artists my team you know you got writers or uh inkers letterers and colorists mm-hmm. and um that project's already there so what i did was is i took my hundred page screenplay and i chopped it in half and rather than doing four issues of smaller content at like 22 pages, I decided to do two graphic novels instead. That way people get more of it at once. And, you know, it's also warrants paying, you know, more money for because it it's not a single comic. It's a graphic novel.
0: Yeah. And as we, as we know, graphic novels and trade paperbacks are, you know, more than, more than half of the, uh, the sellable content in comics mm-hmm. nowadays. So,
1: yeah, people like so,
0: binging everything. I like binging everything.
1: Right? Yeah, you get it's a tastier meal. You don't want to just an appetizer, you want the whole meal.
0: Yeah, I want so, I want I want to binge big cups of coffee, comic books and uh TV shows.
1: There you go. Yeah. yeah, so Blood and Bullets uh number 2 uh which is the second half of this story arc, which is the screenplay, uh is is nearly already drawn, so uh, I have already seen and been approving those pages and uh, the lettering is already being worked on. So my uh, goal in anticipation is to do a Kickstarter for Loco hero. Number two in July, you heard it here wow. first and then blood and bullets number two in September. And those books should be done and ready to go to print at the end of each campaign so that your fulfillment time you know, falls between that, you know, month and a half to three months window where you can have all your stretch goals made, get your comics printed, make sure your quality controls there and get them shipped out to people in a very timely manner.
0: Yeah. This, this, that's like such a great way to do it because you've got, Oh my good Lord. Uh,
1: you, you've, got <laughs> so every, my you've got
0: everything in, in the bag.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. and and your your chances, your risk is a lot less, and you're also showing people the complete content, right? And it's not, hey, I hope you get a good artist for this, or my artist bailed after halfway through. So my first artist on this project never got past page seventeen. So I brought Silvano on, uh, with special thanks to uh, Kevin uh, Gouyet at Inked Marketing and Richard Boom. Uh, over in the Netherlands. And he was the one that found me, Richard hooked me up with Silvano. And since Christmas, he's turned in 90 pages of art. No, not 90, 100, nearly a hundred pages of art What? plus coverage. Yeah. Since Christmas. Oh my God. That's when I brought him on and he's already, and he's doing work for one or two other small projects as well. So you know, he, he's working digitally. They're not traditional pages, mm-hmm. um, but they're high quality and it's high volume. And that's a rare thing.
0: Good Lord. A hundred pages. Yeah. And with every, with everything I got going on in a teenage daughter, I'm lucky to read a hundred pages. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, in one
0: sitting at least. He's you know? my
1: superstar. And, wow. uh, I'm also, so I'm in the beginning stages of doing a dark anthology series called the Midnight Cafe. And I've already asked him if he wants to do a a story on that project as well. Uh, and so my goal is, is that this time next year, when I launch the Midnight Cafe Kickstarter, uh, that issue two will already have been being worked on as once. So on an anthology series, what I'll do is, is each story will be around 18 pages, and, uh, I can do a 48 to say 60 page anthology and I can have multiple issues being worked on at once because I can have three pencilers going at the same time.
0: I love anthologies. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, here's a nice big book and you're bound to at least like something in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm taking inspiration for that project from Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, Eerie, um, uh, Twilight Zone, you name it. Uh, All of these kinds of things that impacted me. And, And I'll be honest, I don't like, I don't watch slasher movies and things that are gory over the top. And yet I tend to like to write things that either have sinister elements or... Are dark and mysterious. And so I guess that is like me playing on the things that scare me the most and then putting that on paper.
0: Yeah. More of a more of a dark sinister thriller than a than the hack em, hack em, slash them Those yeah. are, those yeah. are the kind that I like because they creep up on you and you just usually scare the bejesus out of you.
1: Right. And it's not, you know, it, none of it's going to be like over the top gore. They're still going to be adult stories, but um, there are stories in there that uh, uh, one that is uh, being worked on now is called the book of Mark and it's an occult horror and deals with the Bible and demons and, you know, possession and things like that. And I've also got a Sasquatch story going and a sci-fi story going. And there's a couple others that are just sort of kind of pure horror but not necessarily in a gore standpoint as much as a scare you standpoint
0: i got a i got a a laugh out of a, a cartoon in the paper the other day and it explained why nobody has seen sasquatch in so long and it, what just, does it, say? it just it just showed it didn't say anything it just showed two teenagers on a park bench with their apple phones like this right <laughs> it's like bigfoot <laughs> just wandered around right You know, patting them on the back and walking away, and and nobody notices because they can't look up from their phones.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I
0: mean, tell us about these because,
1: yeah, so these are the standard covers. Um, Several of these covers in this campaign are uh, from me. So, on the left, you have the original pencil drawing, and a lot of my fans are fans of the more rendered pencil, and you'd get a lot fewer artists in this industry who do, you know, really shaded pencil. And Mm -hmm. then you have the color version on the right. Um, and so that, uh, cover is called big irons. And that's kind of a nod to Marty Robbins and the song big iron on her, on, on his hip, big irons on her hips. Uh, then down below you have the initial piece of promo art that I did uh, and then I always like to make sure that the team that's doing the interior work is also on the cover. And so I did a montage piece there of several cool favorite panels from inside the book, as well as another drawing that um, Silvano had done as, as a cover. And so that way the, the, the pencil or uh, inker artists and colorists get their work on a cover as well. And then down below, you also have the se- one of the secondary kind of hero characters in the story. Her name is Blackbird, and she comes from either the Maricopa or Pima people that would have uh, been down in southern Arizona. And she's uh, adept with knives, and she's called Blackbird. And so, again, on the left, you see the option to, to get either the colored version that Federico Siak has covered uh, or the pure you know, pencil piece. And that's also a reward in the campaign that if somebody wants to buy some of the original art, there's, there's some kind of bigger tier items that are kind of in the several thousand dollar range for those collectors who like to buy the original art.
0: I love that Blackbird cover.
1: Oh, thank you. And then as a a closing. It's
0: amazing in the, in the, and the way, the way he colored it, it's just like completely surreal.
1: Yeah. I did a really nice job and, and there's a reflection of Mary on the knife. She's mm-hmm. kind of there in her coat with her, you know, hat and everything like that. And um, so that was a nice combination. And uh, he's the, the, that colorist is, I, I just found before the project, his name is Federico and he's done a great job. And so almost all these color covers, if you scroll down to the, um, the digital covers uh, the rockstar covers, Right right there, uh, he colored all of those. And so, um, it's, you know, a lot of times you're sending pieces to different colorists and sometimes they're not available. And so, um, I was so happy with his work that that's actually one colorist doing four or five different variations. Um, so on the upper left, you've got Jason Metcalf on the right, uh, Stephen B. Scott down low on the left in the middle, you've got, uh, Murat Michaels, who's known for Naughty and Nice. Uh, Then you have another newer artist who's also from out of the country. His name's Marcus Vinicius. Uh, It was a new guy who I tried out, uh, did a nice piece for me. And then down below, the one that I just mentioned we debuted just today uh, is by Mark Huizinga, and I'm a big fan of his work. And so um, uh, all of these artists are new on a campaign for me, except for Marat Michaels. Uh, he did a cover also for local hero and I've done a number of covers, uh, for him over the years on, uh, projects like naughty and nice, Harley, uh, hardly thin and, um, uh, Oh, battle fairies. So oh, all three yeah. of those, you yeah, know, all three of those titles are recent ones.
0: Yeah. I've got, I've got many, uh, many pieces by Murat. I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of signed prints by him and, uh, and uh and jason metcalf i got a i got a jason metcalf uh piece that he did uh for was uh a harry potter piece that he did okay i I got it for my daughter because she was into it and now she's like yeah it's nice it's pretty back to my phone okay
1: right so here's some of the same options. Most people will have seen these covers, but these are some of the ones that we've chosen to be available as the hollow foil for the, mm-hmm. the real collectors, like a little bling on their comic. Oh, yeah. uh, and so those are uh, often some of the uh, collector favorites on the campaign, the hollow foil. And then I think down below that we might have the giving more tier. We shall see. So keep scrolling down. Yeah.
0: That's, that's so, gorgeous.
1: So right here, this is my work. And uh, this is called the giving more tier. And it's my sort of philanthropy tier. We did this on local hero as well. We raised several thousand dollars for um, wounded veterans who were returning to um, the uh, civilian life. And so on this particular one, um, I chose the Native American Heritage Association, uh, who does a lot of good works really on the ground, uh, especially in areas up in North Dakota and some of the other reservations where um, there's a lot of uh, tribal members and families who struggle to even have food in their communities and so they're they also act as a food bank and they're a platinum rated charity so there's companies out there that you know they make sure that charities are spending money and they're doing the good works that they're supposed to be doing and it's not going to overhead and so that's a platinum rated charity uh and so when people support that particular tier then the lion's share of the proceeds from that uh and they get this print as their reward and those proceeds go to the Native American Heritage Association.
0: That is very, very nice.
1: Thank you. So that's I a f- I, I took I four. I
0: don't, I don't see a lot of kickstarters uh, that you know incorporate some kind of charity work into the into their campaign.
1: We when we did on our last campaign for Loco Hero, uh, we had. Um, Josh, who works with me here in the studio, we came up with that idea when I had done that piece. And I said, hey, I wonder if there's a way to, you know, sort of give back when people support this. So it wasn't that I saw that idea on another Kickstarter. We just sort of brainstormed it here in the studio and went, hey, let's go ahead and do this. And um, now I kind of take it as a matter of pride that it's something that we do that you don't see in a lot of other campaigns uh, and even my last art book campaign that was for an uh, art book called Montage, because it actually had some automotive work and it had wildlife and it had Western, uh, we uh, chose an organization called Hearts and Horses. And they're an equine therapy group that works with everybody from uh, adults and children with disabilities to emotional support and veterans uh, and just a lot of uh, good works where they use the the horses to help folks who need a little help, and so uh, we always try to have a have a tier that is uh, the giving more tier where we give back.
0: Very good. There's that line work again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a little bit more of a close up of the uh, dark spirits cover. Uh, and in the story, there's a, a kind of a, a set when they sort of have to go after the bad guys and kind of a little war paint. So uh, in that particular scene and in the story, uh, Blackbird takes some paint and kind of, you know, puts them around her eyes that kind of indicate like wing, uh, a wing kind of shape like the Blackbird. And so I wanted to bring that into the story. Uh, and in the background of this bigger picture, you can see a little bit of the uh, the teepees in the village along the the waterline there and, uh, you know, just kind of a little bit of the Native American cultural heritage. And in the story itself, there are several sort of scenes that involve the coming together and the clashing of her culture and the sort of impeding, you know, white man's culture of the West that was often seen. And so this isn't just a, you know, cheeky action TNA book or anything. There, there's some, you know, cultural things that happen where the town doesn't want Blackbird to be there. And she's married to, um, Mary's brother. And even the, uh, the tribe also does not want her to be with him. And she says, you know, this is the person that I love and that I've married. And so you, you get both sides of both of these cultures saying, yeah, we're not fans of this. You need to go. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not, this is, I'm, you know, she's a person of conviction and uh, she's got to s- sort of stand by her man in many ways. And you also don't get very few, you get very few um, native American characters in comic books.
0: Yeah. So the women's collection
1: Yes yeah, so this is the first time we've ever offered those um there's a uh, there's a close up picture below this edge it's a very good picture uh, I should have grabbed the printout to have here on the show um but the what they do is they print the the linens uh, on a pearl essence paper so it does have a nice bit of sheen to it and uh again it's hard to see in the um in the photo, but you can see a little bit of that cross texture that you get as a linen texture. And mm-hmm. so these, um, more rare books are, uh, they're, they're pearl linen covers. And so we decided to do a small offering of those. And so that was why we called them the, the fresh linens collection. We like to have fun with the names. And, well, you know, uh, after
0: so many kickstarters, you're like, Oh, what am I going to come up with names for all these tears for again?
1: Right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, backers will also be able to get a variety of add on items at the end. So if they want to get certain books as certain offerings, they can just add those to their regular tier. Um, now this is some of the swag that we have here. So anybody who backs a a reward that has a physically shipping item, meaning a comic and not just a digital only tier, Mm -hmm. then they get all of these as freebies. And so, you know, we blew through the first three or four in the opening sort of hour or so of the campaign. We hit 10,000, I think, uh, when we first first launched. And so you can see bookmark, mini print, magnet. Uh, but then we get into some cool, unique items that we've never done before. The poker chip was one of the first bigger items. And then um, one of my pieces of art or a new piece will go on the metal Ace of Hearts. And then I've already done a drawing. You can see there I did that as a live drawing on Facebook of the patch to kind of signify Blackbird Mm -hmm. uh, with a a Native American motif. Uh, Then we have a fun sticker, the Dragoon Saloon, that says get a shot and a bite.
0: (laughs) You might not want that second half.
1: (laughs) Right. And then um, uh, so the two drawings that I showed earlier are part of the three-card Monty trading cards. Mm -hmm. And then just yesterday, I believe it was, we, or the night before, we just hit the 35K. And so I'll be working on the design for the Wooden Nickel that comes from one of the saloons in the story called the Hog Leg Saloon.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a Wooden Nickel.
1: Right. You know, cool collectibles that signify the campaign. And, you know, who doesn't like fun pins? And in Loco Hero, you know, we hit 50 grand on our first comics campaign ever, which was awesome. And that reward was the Loco Hero dog tags. And so, you know, that's a more rare kind of stretch goal item. And, you know, even if people don't want to wear it every day, they can hang it off their backpack that they take to school or they take to, you know, conventions.
0: Or they can, they can hang it off a A mirror. One of their their framed local. Local hero comics up on the wall. Well,
1: Always that too. The,
0: hang the tags off the side.
1: Actually, that would be kind of a cool shadow box to do. Do the yeah. you know, swag items around it. Maybe I'll have to do that.
0: You'll do that, and then you'll show it off. Right? Online yeah. Maybe for the next
1: like, campaign. Yeah. How do I get one of those? Right. Well, <laughs> it's, a good, uh, it's a good idea.
0: You back the campaign and get one of everything. And then you go to uh, your local hobby shop and you build one of these yourself.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can you can buy the uh, shadow boxes just about anywhere.
0: <laughs> hey, there you are.
1: Yep. Yeah, Lots of comics. Uh, I don't know how many covers I've done over the years, but the Helena one over there on the left um, was my first freelance cover ever. And that was a 96, 97 timeframe, but I had already – been to San Diego Comic Con every year um, before the pandemic, twenty-eight years in a row. So I have, I can still say I have not missed a regular San Diego Comic Con in nearly thirty years.
0: I actually have that Helena, and yeah, and, there you go.
1: And,
0: First uh, Monty
1: Moore published freelance cover.
0: Yeah, and I, I most definitely had the Elvira. I bought all. I've, I've bought all the Elvira books. Uh, as well as vampirellas,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, uh, popular popular ladies.
0: Yeah, i I somewhere around here I've got a uh, I've got a short magazine box full of the old black and whites.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting when I first got into the industry. You know, you were starting to see some more female kind of titles like Danger Girl mm-hmm. uh, and things from like J. Scott Campbell, um, but there was just very few successful. Titles that had women characters. And one of the only ones I could even think about that you know was doing big numbers and had a following was Wonder Woman. Yeah. Right. Now there was certainly other ones out there. I mean, there's titles like Miss Marvel and there's you know Catwoman and stuff like that, but they weren't big top-tier, you know, characters or moneymakers. And you know, then you at the same time I started the industry, Brian Polito was starting to publish in '91, '92. And you know, that was still very fringe, you know, it's very, uh, outlying kind of stuff. You had art by mm-hmm. Jim Ballant, um, on, uh, from broadsword comics, he was doing tarot later on, but yeah. we've seen a real change in the industry in the last, you know, 20 to 25 years of a lot more women go being interested in comics and reading them. We have more women doing art for them, which is mm-hmm. great. We have some fantastic pencilers and colorists and writers. Uh, have for a long time on the writer front. Uh, but then you also just have a lot more, you know, sort of female driven characters that really, they drive a big portion of the industry. I mean, I don't think that Zenoscope or, or some of these other publishers have ever even published a title that had a male character.
0: No, it, you know, I, I've looked and they've, they've had, they've had like amazing cover artists over at Zenoscope. Oh Yeah. And I'm like, yep. I go, this stuff looks great, but I don't know. And then I ended up having a couple of my friends were like, it was, yeah, I buy the, I buy the occasional one. I read the, I read the plot of, you know, the mini series of what is, you know, what's happening. And if it interests me, I'll, you know, I'll sign up and I'll, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, we did the, the old, the, the thing we used to do when we were kids, we would bring our comic our comic books over to our friend's house and kind of like swap them off and just sit, sit around in a circle, just reading comics all day.
1: That's all we did too. You know, I can remember, and you know, a lot of them just didn't even have covers on them anymore or somebody Mm -hmm. would pick up, you know, you'd be at a garage sale or a flea market and you could get a box of comics for, you know, five bucks and they were hammered. And you didn't even know what the storyline was. It was you know, Hulk 52 and then an Avengers 17 and so-and-so, but it didn't matter. You know, if it was a comic book, it was cool. And you read it, yeah, you know, we,
0: and we didn't care. I bought yeah. all the, I bought like all the, like the Batman, the Legion, the superhero stuff. And, uh, my friend, Mike, a couple of houses up, bought like all the Hulk and the, uh, and the Spider-Mans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd get my comics on Sunday. He'd get his on Saturday, uh,
1: Wednesday, Wednesday, out.
0: Wednesday after baseball practice, we were sitting on his front lawn uh, swapping out, swapping out comics. This was back in the day when we didn't know they were going to be worth anything. And we would like, just roll them up and stick them in our back pockets, jump on our bikes yeah. and head down the street.
1: I remember I briefly thought I had a comic that was worth some money. And it was a, uh, it was an oversized action comics, number one. And I was like, wait a minute, I wonder where this thing came from. And I can remember showing it to then a a friend of the family who was a big comic collector and he knew a lot more than me. And I'm like, Hey, I think I have a Superman number one. And you know, it was a, it was one of the giant size, you know, much later reprints of it. And it was probably printed in the late seventies or something like that. And so, you know, it went from, Hey, this is worth a ton of money to Well, it might be worth 50 bucks, but probably also depends on the condition. So Uh, I I, I haven't owned any comics that were uh, super valuable. Although I did get a good deal on a piece of original Jim Lee art from heritage auctions and it's (sighs) Superman holding the flag. And it's a very early Jim Lee. It's not his more developed style that you see now. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, And I want to say maybe it was drawn around like 89 or something like that. Um, But who cares? It's Jim Lee. It's cool. I actually <laughs> have
0: a piece of Jim Lee art too. Do you really? I bought nice. the uh, when he was doing Hush for DC. Uh huh. They had released this huge box that had the th- the three different types of Batman figures from from Hush, right? Uh, and of course, they they all had those the soles on the boots now because Jim made that mistake way back when. So now everybody has to draw soles on Batman's boots.
1: Yeah, but I think it's cool. I like this. It makes it. It makes it, it, makes it make, look thick.
0: It it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. It's like how do you climb up a wall with you know a loafer?
1: Yeah, I like the more combat boot kind of look. Honestly, it just looked more tough.
0: Yeah, so it's got. Uh, there's there's a, a prototype figure, and mm-hmm. the, they're they're all loose, and they're in like uh, cut out foam slots and everything. And there's there's a little ank anch- Ankle monitor tag on each one, telling you, you know, what they are. So there's the original prototype, uh, and then there's then there's one where they they use like more of the like the rubbery material. Okay. So you can see the cape and get a better feel for it. And then there was uh, the finished product, but it was a it was a repaint. But in there, there's of course a COA that Jim signed, and then each one had. And he must have, I, I think he just drew like the same Batman profile with like a couple like little things on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like everyone just drew it like over and over again, so yeah, a little in, remark, yeah. yeah. So that that's in there, uh, with uh, you know, with the signature on it. So I Very actually cool. do own a piece of Jim Lee art, original okay, art, yeah. so I'm like, gotta dig it. Cause I couldn't afford to buy one now.
1: No, no. Once
0: in a while you catch one at the beginning of their careers and, and then you can just sit back and go, I'm never selling this.
1: Oh, I have lots of people who bought full whole paintings for me that were, you know, like yay big. And in, in the beginning of my career yeah, it's probably two, 300 bucks you know, as opposed to thousands. Now I'm a much better artist than I was back then, but still there was plenty of good deals to be had. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. It's, it's, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I got to wrap things up cause I have a yep. few other things I got to hop off and do. And I appreciate all your time today.
0: Well, I, I thank you very much for, uh, you know, coming in and, uh, talking to us about the project and a few other things. Uh, it's been a pleasure and, uh, we'll look forward to, uh, seeing this done. Now that I know what everything is, I can go in and pick out my covers.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I appreciate it. I appreciate that, uh, friends like you, you know, help support not only indie comics with, uh, you know, purchasing them, but also having shows and formats like this, where we can come on and talk about it and, uh, If the community all works together, then we can do great things together.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Well, uh, thank you once again, and uh, we'll talk to you hopefully soon.
1: You bet. I appreciate it. I'll come back uh, in the future for sure. I enjoyed myself.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day, Monty.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. See you, everybody.